in, that we don't need to be afraid of each other, that we can, um, we can trust each other and we can um, learn more about you through each other. And I, I just love the way that you've set that up, Lord God, and that you draw us on into this fellowship, one with another and with you and with your son. So I pray today that um, we would have, it's a full day, Lord, as you know, but um, that you would be, what is that? I want to say that you would loom large in our minds, that you would be, that you would fill this room with your spirit, that, that we would know that you are here and that you are listening and, that, and more that you are pleased, pleased with our desire to know more about you. So I pray that you would keep each one awake. I pray that no matter the night we had or how well or uh, badly we slept, that you would re-energize us, Lord God. You say that in our weakness, your power is perfected. And so I pray for that perfecting of power uh, to go on in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we left last night with the... Um, knowledge that Peter understood the glory. Uh, he understood the greatness of Christ. He understood um, the, uh, the great promise of Jesus, but he could not yet accept the cross. And um, he couldn't accept it for Jesus, and he certainly couldn't accept it for himself. And... Um, I wonder if that's where a lot of Christians find themselves. Um, they know about the pr great promises of God in Christ. They understand the blessing. They know about the eternal life. They, they, are, they, they, they want the peace and the joy and, and all of the other things that Christ has promised or God has promised us in Christ. But they haven't yet understood that all of it comes to us through a surrendered life. That, um, that actually the more we surrender, the more we receive the blessing. It's, um, it's simple actually, isn't it? It's a really simple idea, but it's one that most Christians, I think, don't understand. They, um, they know the truth about Jesus, they've put their trust in him, they've believed in him, but they haven't understood that they must live the life of surrender, that they must come through the cross. You know, they must die to self. Uh, because I think we're taught, actually, that uh, he died so we don't have to. I said that yesterday. That's what we're taught. You know, he, he took my guilt, he took my penalty, and he paid my price. And of course he did. And we assume from that that it means we don't have to do anything. We just reap all the benefit of the blessing that is now going to be poured out on us. And for a long time in our Christian life, I think that God allows that because we're babies and he wants us to be unafraid and to grow to go on and, and start to, uh, like a, a baby, you know, start to get up on our feet and and walk and then fall over and then get up again. But there will come a time in all of our lives when God won't let you continue in that way anymore. Why is that? Mm. 
Yes. Yes, he wants us to mature. Why would he want us to mature? Why wouldn't it matter if we stayed toddlers? Mm. Mm. All those things are true. But imagine you've got a child. You have a baby. And uh, you feed the baby, you love the baby, you clothe the baby. After five years, they're still in, they're still in the cot. You're going to start to think there's something wrong with that baby. And you're going to start to wonder what you've done wrong. And, and really, how, how are you going to get this baby out of the cot? Because if they don't get out of the cot, they're never going to come into the fullness of the life that they could have. That's exactly what it is. It's that. It's that if we do not understand that the road to glory is a surrendered life, a surrendered road, then we will never access the fullness of that glory. And we will never live the abundant life that Jesus came and promised us. Um, so I think I said at the end, you know, I hope that you turn those things over this weekend because, um, you know, that's what it's about. And I said also, um, this is not about individual sins. I'm not talking to people who I'm assuming are still involved in basic sins, habitual sins. You know, maybe you are, but I'm assuming you're not. You know, I, I'm assuming you're not addicted to pornography or drugs or drink or you're not committing adultery or you, you know, you're not doing some of the very obvious things that uh, we, we know are sins. I'm assuming that that's true. You're here for the weekend. Why would you come on this weekend? Why would anybody come to a desiring truth thing if they're still battling with their simple, small, not simple, but small, you know, very basic sins? I'm not trying to suggest that this is that you're 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 still sinning in that way. This is not about individual sins. This is about death to self. Death to self. It's about um, the fact that we have to die to the self-life. And uh, so what is the self-life? Our, <coughs> Our willfulness, yeah. That's when we're absorbed in self. Mm. That's when you're absorbed, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Self is the inside of you that wants to be God. It's the inner you that wants to be God. Um, and it, it's, it's the soul of you, if you like, that wants to be God. And it, it, yeah, it manifests in a zillion ways. You can see it in all sorts of ways. And we're only going to talk about three. Um, we're going to talk about three different ways. Self-will, self-confidence, and self-exaltation. Self-will, what's that? Wanting to please myself. Wanting to do what I want to do. Wanting to find my happiness my way. Not minding a little service in the church. Not minding coming to a DT weekend not minding um, picking up someone and taking them to church every week, not minding um, a little Bible study now and then, not minding any of that. 
but only insofar as it does not impinge on me, on what I want. Um, it's basically wanting to call the shots, wanting to have time for me. Now, I know many, many, many believers who talk about me time. Me time. So, somebody read Matthew, well, actually, read, um, uh, whoever she is, Alison, is going to do all the readings because she's sitting next to Brian and he can handle, hand the microphone to her. So, this is just Matthew 16, verse 24. Matthew 16:24 Then Jesus said to his disciples, "If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." Thank you. Look at yourself in the light of that verse. I mean, really look at yourself. Hold that verse up in the mirror and and say, "Is this me? It, do I want to go after Jesus? And if I do, I have to be willing to deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow him. And then, could you read Matthew 26, 31 to 35? Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny <coughs> you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Thank you. Pleasing yourself always ends in denying Christ. I think that's something we don't understand. Um, but... Pleasing uh, yourself, living a self-life, always ends up denying Christ. Could you read six, verse 69 to 75, please? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you were talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later the bystanders came up, to, up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had <coughs> said, Before a rooster crows you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Thank you. If you just look at that sequence of events, Peter was absolutely convinced he would not deny Christ. He would not deny Christ. He was all for following Christ. He was going after him. So there was something he hadn't understood. And he, when it gets to the time, he denies him three times, just as Jesus knew he, want, he would. So look at yourself, not at anybody else, just at yourself. Do you see self-pleasing there? Do you see self-determination, self-will? You know, this is, this is, I don't want you to, I want us to go deeper than the surface. I want us to really look at ourselves and say, 
you know, am I someone who is living a surrendered life? Am I really someone who is following Christ, who is denying self? And then ask the question, what was it that caused Peter to deny Christ three times? What was it that, that, that led Peter to deny Christ? Fear? I'm not sure it was fear, actually. Everyone's agreed it was fear. Peter was absolutely convinced he would not deny Christ. He would not deny Christ. Why was he so convinced? Sort of pride, because Peter was absolutely confident in his own ability. He was confident. He was self-confident. He was sure that he wouldn't do that. He'd faced things with Jesus. He'd faced opposition. Yeah, maybe there was some fear in there, but this wasn't new for him. So what we're being shown in this whole kind of um, sequence of events is Jesus saying to the disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And all of those disciples saying, that's what we're going to do. And then Jesus saying, you are going to deny me. You will deny me. And they're all saying, no, we won't. No, we won't. I won't deny you. What is that based on? It's based on self-confidence. I can, not, I can live a life that will not deny you. Why was he so sure that he wouldn't? Hmm? He had a lot of self-confidence, yeah. Yes, because he'd already had that whole conversation. Because he loved Jesus. He loved him. He'd, he'd seen himself in the light of Jesus with the shoal of fish. Do you remember in Luke 15, I think it is, or Luke 5? He'd, he'd, you know, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He knew exactly who he was in relation to Jesus. And he understood who Jesus was. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the one to follow. And he was so enamored with this Jesus and what he did is what you and I do all the time. We forget that the self in us is so strong. Is so, so strong. Our will, our confidence, our pride. Hmm. Yes, 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 I'm sure, but, but come back off that, that's definitely true, Luz, but come back off that, what is the reason for that, why does he think that, self, it's because my plan is that you're the Messiah and you're going to take over the Romans. That's what, that's what it is. Our uh, self 
is so strong. We want things our way and we want them to happen the way we want them. And we get really self-confident. If I went around this room and talked to most people, you would tell me you loved God. You love God. You want to follow him. And you do. I'm not trying to knock that. I'm not trying to say that you don't. But what I'm trying to say is that we place so much confidence in our own ability. Even though we say we can't do it without you, we don't actually mean it. Not when it gets right down to the nitty-gritty. Peter was all self-confidence. So I want to ask you a question. Why do you fail? Why are you unable to live in God's will? Why do you keep going back to the same sin? Yeah, that might be. Yeah, it could be. (coughs) It's definitely that we're not fully surrendered. But I actually would say it's because you do trust yourself that you keep going back and that you're unable to live the life because you keep thinking you can do it. If I was just a bit stronger, if I just believed a bit more, if I just memorized the scriptures, if I just spent more time praying, if I just did this or I just did that, if I was a better person, if I was a better Christian, I could do that. And so we work it up and work it up and work it up and work it up. It's because we do trust ourselves and the ability that we have that we keep failing. Um, yes, definitely. Always gracious and kind, Mike. Yeah, definitely. See, you might say, no, I trust God. I don't trust myself. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can do nothing without God. You, that's, that's what we say. But the answer is, you may say that, And you may even know that in your head, but you don't trust it because you keep failing. And the reason you keep failing is because you don't trust God and you are living in your own self-confidence. How do I know that? How do I know that you're not trusting God? You're not trusting Christ? Yeah, well, because we're all the same. Well, not me, Anne, of course. I'm so much different. No. How do I know? Because Christ never fails. If you truly, truly were in a position where you were trusting Christ, you, he would never fail. He doesn't fail. You would not fail. You would not keep going back over the same thing time and time and time again. You trust yourself. You trust yourself. We all do. We trust ourselves. We trust ourselves. We trust our own strength. We trust our own determination instead of the strength of God in us. We say we don't. We say the right words. 
We might even believe those words to a certain level. But when the, when the rubber hits the road, we put our trust, our confidence in ourselves. And cons consequently, we fail over and over and over again. That's why Jesus said, self must be denied. I'm not he wasn't talking about the individual sins. He's talking about the, the soul of you that thinks it can do and be. There is such deception in our soul. And we believe that we are able, especially in our part of the world, we believe that we are able. Now, I, you know, say, no, I don't. I trust God. I trust Jesus. And my, my answer will be always, so how are you doing then? How much success have you got in your life? Well, it is. That's what I'm saying. It's actually trusting yourself. Yes. <coughs> yeah, in, in another way, I suppose it is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and then the third one, self-exaltation. Um, the pride, the jealousy, the sensitivity to what people think about us, 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 the desire for human praise, pleasing others, always wanting to live, uh, instead, of, instead of wanting to live in the presence of God and to please him. You won't, you know, these things, we say we don't want these things. We say, I'm not bothered what other people think of me. But oh my goodness, yes we are. Yes we are. We want to have a good reputation. We want to be thought of as whatever it is that we want to be thought of. We want to be raised up. That is the human condition. And when the Lord came into your life and gave you his spirit and took up residence in you, your old nature didn't go. It was, it's still there. In all its horrific corruption, it is still there. And that's another thing we don't remember. We think it's gone if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And that's true on one level. Could, um, could you read John 5, 44, please? <coughs> How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is the is from the one and only God. Thank you. Living to gain the approval of others is the same as living to gain the approval of yourself. It's exactly the same. And it leads away from God. It separates you from him. And it is the way that the enemy of your soul wants you to live. He wants you to live that way. It's why he tempted Adam and Eve in the first place. 
It's why he sends demons to tempt and to test us. He wants to keep us from the life of denial to self. Why? (coughs) Why? Yes, that's true, but why does he want you to uh, keep you from the life of denial to yourself? He wants us to be ineffective, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, it's all about other people, but... But was it true? Yes, not on my page, so sorry. Um, (laughs) Because he does not want us to experience the life of glory and hope and peace and abundance that Christ came. I've said, how many times have I said so far last night and this morning, that surrendered life is a life of glory. It is a life of to glory, from glory to glory. The surrendered life is a life that is glorious. And the enemy of our soul does not want us to experience that glory. He doesn't want you to have hope. He doesn't want you to have peace. He doesn't want you to have abundance. He doesn't want you to be filled with this light, this love of God that will just overflow in you. He doesn't want you to have that. So he keeps you tied up with yourself. All the time with yourself. And he masks it and and covers it and dresses it up as some sort of, uh, you know, kind of spiritual thing. He, 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 He pretends or he gets you to think that that there is a glory, there, there isn't a glorious life. I've just got to keep on and keep on and doing my best and doing my best and doing my best and failing and going back and failing and going back. And all the time, the promise of God is Christ never fails. He never fails. Never. So we have to rid ourselves of the thinking that accepts what the enemy is putting in and start to live on the basis of what the truth is. What is the truth? The truth is, I am glorious in Christ Jesus. Exactly. I am glorious already. There you go. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nothing is impossible for the God who lives within me. He, the enemy does not want you to have the glorious, abundant, joy-filled life that Christ came to give you. He does not want you to experience it. So what have we got to do then to be rid of this self-life? What have we got to do? Matthew 16, 24. We've read it a couple of times already. 
Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I have to choose between the self-life and, and Christ's life. I have to choose. Follow me, Jesus says, as I bring you to my Father. Follow me. Make me your example. Make me your goal. Make me your treasure. Give me your whole heart. Come to Jesus. Lay down your life so that his life will be yours. But look, look and be aware from Peter and all of his experiences. Jesus said to him, follow me. Where would he have to follow? <coughs> How would he get there? Yeah. It's true, but yeah. He had to follow him through Gethsemane where he failed because he couldn't stay awake. He had to then go to the cross where he failed three times and denied him three times. You will have to follow Jesus through failure. Through failure. There is no shame in failure. There is only shame in not following. I want to cry now. There's no shame in failing. It's only that. It's the, the shame, if that's the right word, is in not denying self. In deciding that it's more important that I please myself, that I place my confidence in myself, that I am exalted than that Christ is. Peter failed over and over again. He failed even after the, the resurrection of Jesus and the sending of the Spirit. He failed many times, but he continued to die to himself. Jesus did ne never failed him. He continued to lead him on. He led him to the upper room in Pentecost where Peter, this, this, I think, broken man, waited for the giving of the Spirit. And then um, Christ's life came and Peter could say, as Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live. Paul, think of Paul. What happened to Paul? Who was he? <coughs> he was a persecutor of Christians, a persecutor of Christ, actually. So, but what happened to him? He met with Christ on the road to Damascus. That must have been an amazing experience. And he loses his eyesight and he's led away and then someone has to come and pray for him. And then Paul says he was taken up to the third heaven. Taken up to the third heaven. And he received uh, revelations that he couldn't talk about. And to stop him exalting himself, what happened? The, he, he was given a thorn in his side. Did he like the thorn? No. 
What did he do? He asked, take this, thought, this from me. Similar to Jesus' prayer, isn't it? Take this cup from me. Three times he says, I prayed that the Lord would remove it. And God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul's response, nevertheless, I shall boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might be seen or might show in me. I will boast about my weaknesses. I will be talking about my witnesses and my weaknesses. Make them known to people so that you will know that where you see Paul, you see a man inhabited by the Spirit of God. You see a man through whom Christ lives. Can you see what I'm trying to get at? There's no shame in failure. There's no shame in weakness. There's no shame in not being able to do things. Welcome to the human race. There's no shame. There's only shame in not trying and not denying yourself. Jesus led Paul, like Peter, through death to self, death to pride, death to self-confidence, death to self-will. Paul was a strong, articulate, intelligent man. I can't think there was much that he couldn't do. Yes, a Pharisee among Pharisees. Can you imagine how many times he would have been tempted to think he could manage this? I can do this. I can do this. I'm not afraid. I can do this. Definitely. And left the thorn in his side. And that was an act of mercy and grace. See, do we really understand that Jesus is calling each of us, even now, today, no matter how long you've been a Christian, he is calling you to come to him and humble yourself. You have to do that. You have to humble yourself because denying self involves you humbling yourself. And you must do it. He won't do it for you. Come to him, humble yourself. Take a look at where you are today. And if necessary, list all your weaknesses and all your failings. All the unsurrendered areas of your life. <coughs> and then allow Christ to take control. Now, you know, I'm, I'm talking about this. I would have a list a mile long. You know, I, I am not suggesting in any way that we, any of us, will be rid of all the, all the things on our list before we go to be with the Lord. This is a life work but it is something that we must do. <coughs> and as we do it, we find that his life actually becomes ours. He actually does live through us. And what will happen when he lives through you? God's glory will be shown. God's glory will be shown. In John chapter 5, um, verse 30, Jesus says, um, 
I can do nothing of my, on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If you begin to, to surrender your life, your will, your uh, confidence, your everything to Christ, you will be able to say like him, I do only what I hear my father do, and I say only what I, sorry, whichever way around, I say only what I hear him say. Jesus spent his whole earthly life bowing to the will of his father. He was the sinless lamb of God. He had no sin, and yet he still did that. Think of how yourself has dishonored God. Think of how yourself has dishonored God. And ask God to lead you away from all the false stuff of Christianity. Ask him to lead you away from all the false um, things of self to a place where you can clearly say, this self has been the ruin of me. This self has been the ruin of me. But I know that you will live in me by your spirit. And I will be enabled to do what I need to do. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Um, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. God tells us there is a reward for the one who seeks him. How amazing, how amazing that is, that he would not only bring us to himself through Christ, that, but that when we come every day in surrender, we would be rewarded. <coughs> that as we submit ourselves to whatever pressing and shaking is necessary, he will overflow through us. What's the reward? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Verse 11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. What is, um, what is God offering us in these verses? Rest. Oh my goodness, rest. The life of surrender leads to rest. You think it's going to be a battle and it's going to be so hard, but it is a life of rest. How do you enter it? Well, first you've got to believe that it exists. First you have to believe that there is rest for you. That there is rest. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23, uh, it says, God brought us out of it, brought them out of Egypt, that he might bring them in 
to the promised land. You were brought out of darkness that you could be brought into light. You were brought out of Satan's kingdom that you might be brought into the kingdom of God. Now, you know the account of the Israelites not trusting God, not wanting to go into the promised land because what they saw when they went in frightened them. Do you remember in Numbers 13? Um, I'll just flip back there for a minute. Numbers 13. (coughs) Moses has led them to the edge of the promised land and um, they, he sends in 12, uh, 12 men to, to look at it. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the sons of Israel. And then look at verse 17. When Moses sent them out to spy out the land, he said to them, Go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is... um, the land. Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was for the, now the time was the time of the first grapes. So they went and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob at Libo Hamath. Um, Then goes, drop down a little bit to um, Uh, Verse 25, when they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then thus they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us and it certainly does flow with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in that land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave us, so they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their, in their sight. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness? Why is it the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? 
So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. You're wondering why I'm reading, maybe wondering why I'm reading that. How many Christians live in the wilderness because they're afraid to go in to the rest, to the promised land? How many Christians, when you're listening to me say, a life of surrender is a life of glory, how many people here in this room are thinking, really? A life of surrender is hard. That means I've got to give up this that I wanted and that that I wanted. That means I can't live to please myself. That means I've got to submit my will to the will of my Father. How many Christians live their entire life in the wilderness because they do not believe that the promised land is the land of promise? How long have you lived there? Honestly, ask yourself the question. How long have you lived in the wilderness? already seen the glory of the Lord and the Lord has led them to this place. They still wouldn't go in though, Mike. They still wouldn't go in. So that's the point I'm making is that we live in, we are offered the promised land. That's ours. It's the rest of God. Hebrews will talk about it as the rest, the rest that God promises us. And yet we're, we're wandering around because the way into the rest of God is a surrendered life. It is, it is the life of denying self and picking up your cross and following Jesus. But you have seen Jesus. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus. You've seen him high and lifted up. You have, heard, you have this whole book that has him high and lifted up. You read in here his own words, that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and follow me, pick up his cross daily and follow me. So we see God in the face of Christ. We have seen him. Those Old Testament, they saw him in moments. We see him. He lives within us. 
But what, we're, what I'm saying is, there is a, uh, a, no, a, a kind of, uh, what's the word, a um, hesitancy in us to actually do what Jesus is calling us to do. We do not want to surrender and die to ourselves. We don't. There's no trick, but we'll get to it. <laughs> We're only on session two, like, come on. <coughs> you know, the thing is, Christians wander about in the wilderness. They do. They wander in the wilderness. I'm not talking about non-believers, I'm talking about believers. They wander around in the wilderness all the time. And these people in, um, in Numbers... They received manna. They, they had the manna from heaven. You know, Moses would strike the rock and the water would come out. They had blessings from God. It says by the time that they got to the end of their time, their shoes had not worn out and their clothes had not worn out. It was a miracle after miracle after miracle. But they were still afraid to go in. That's wonderful, Maureen. But I want to come down to you and to me. And I want to ask myself. Yes. 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 Um, Okay, what is in the promised land then? What is there in the rest of God? How do you get in? Why would you go into the promised land? Because you believe it's the best place to be. Okay. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. In the promised land, there is the soul who says, His grace is sufficient for me. His grace is sufficient for me. There is abundance. Abundance. There is grace upon grace and power to live away from darkness, to live away from bitterness and complaining. There is life and light and love and blessing. And of course, there is victory. There is victory. In the wilderness, there's no victory. Even when you try for it, there's no victory. Only in the rest of God is there victory. Not freedom from every temptation, not complete victory at every turn. That won't happen until we go to be with the Lord. But there is the knowledge that, what was it you said, Vicky? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, So what's the first step then? The first step. What are you going to do? (laughs) <laughs> huh? Yeah, you're going to look at yourself. That's the first thing. 
you're actually going to believe that there is such a rest, that there is a place that is like this. And then you're going to be honest and say, I haven't entered in. I thought I had, but I'm not in it. I have not entered in. And then who said about confessing and repenting? And then you're going to confess and repent that that is sin. It's sin not to believe that God's rest is what he says it is and to want to continue to walk around in the wilderness. You said it, Chris, because the reason you have not entered is because of unbelief. If you are not in the rest of God, in the uh, promised land, you have not believed God. And because you haven't believed God, what have you done? You've denied him. You've trusted yourself and you have dishonored God. See, we think, we don't really think that. We think we're afraid to go in, we're afraid, what about if it's not true? What, what about if I'm not good enough? What about this? What about that? Or I can manage pretty well out here, whatever way that manifests itself. But you are dishonoring God when you do not believe and do what he says for you to do. <coughs> say, that, <coughs> say that again, Lewis. Yes, yes. 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 Yeah, that's what I said, I think, a while ago. This is a daily, this is a thing that we do for our whole life. This is not a one-off thing. This is something that happens consistently. And the third step, the third step, the first step is, I believe that there's a rest, and to be honest, I haven't entered in. And the second step is to confess that as sin and say uh, that I haven't entered in because of my unbelief. And that I know that I have dishonored God because of that. And the third step is, thank you, Lord, that this rest is for me. That it is for me. Don't keep saying, my will is weak. I'm nervous. I'm afraid. I can't do it. <coughs> away at yourself, from yourself, and look at God. Um, I think I've already quoted um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The fourth step, the fourth step, understand that you cannot grasp this. You just cannot grasp it. It must be given to you from God. You can't get it for yourself. God must give it to you. So, if that's true, what's your part in it? Hmm? Yes, you've got to ask him for... Yes, letting him have sway. Yes, even if it hurts. But I begin this with, believe this rest is for you. It's for you. 
It's not for super Christians. It's for you and for me. If it can only be given to you by God, what have you got to do? Receive it. That's all. Receive it the same way you receive Christ, the same way you received his spirit, the same way you receive everything from God. You just hold out your hand and you say, thank you. Thank you. I believe that this is for me. But make no mistake, you have to be willing to give up um, everything. You have to be willing to give up everything. The grace of God is free. But Jesus said the one who finds it sells everything to get it. Do you remember his um, Matthew 13? Um, Would you mind reading that, Alison? Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls and upon finding one pearl of great value he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind and when it was filled they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers but the bad they threw away. Thank you. Both people saw the treasure, but it wasn't until they bought it that it was theirs. You have to become the owner of this treasure. You have to become the owner, the possessor of a surrendered life. And the way that that happens is that you give up self. You give up self. How does that manifest itself? What does that look like? Giving up self, what does that look like? (coughs) Yes, yes, I love these big verses and phrases. They're wonderful, Mike. What does it look like every day? What does it look like? Putting God first again, yeah. What does that look like? Yeah, what does that look like in the nitty-gritty... Letting go. (coughs) Yeah. Okay, get up in the morning. You all got up in the morning. What did you do? What did you do? No, I'm not trying to lay down rules. I don't mean that. But I mean, we have to put actual details into these things. We've got to put details in. You know. Okay, you woke up this morning. You were tired. And you know what? I mean, I don't really want to pray. I've got enough to do. You know, the whole weekend's about you, Lord. Can I not just have a cup of tea and look out the window? You know, I'm not trying to... That's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just trying to put details into it. We have to put details into it. So, so, you know, I want to take a long bath and not read my Bible. I mean, you know, I'm going to spend the whole day reading the Bible. I don't have to read that now, do I? Yeah, but what I'm saying is, what will you do to, to live a surrendered life? You will do what you don't want to do because you know that God wants you to do it. So how hard is it for you? You know, everybody knows I read through the Bible in a year. That is hard to do every day. 
It's hard. And I don't always manage it every day. But I always catch up. Why do I read through the Bible in a year? Because God says, read my word. That's what he says, read my word. Do you know what he used to tell the kings of Israel? Write down the five books on a scroll. Every king of Israel had to write down the five books, the first five books of the Bible on a scroll. And then he had to read it every day. Why was that? Yes. Yes. To get the word in. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, to remember he's God and I'm not. He's God and I'm not. And God tells me to do this, therefore I do it. What about your praying? Don't tell me you pray you know, all the time. I know you don't. <laughs> you don't. Why don't you pray? Why don't you pray unceasingly? Because you haven't got time. My goodness, if you knew how busy I was. Yeah, I've got something else to do. I'm going to go to the shops. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. Why do you not pray unceasingly? Why do you not fill your mind with the word of God? Hmm? Life gets in the way. Why does that happen? Because you allow it. Because life is important to you. Yeah, I'm not sure he's talking about this. I'm not. Yeah. Well, of course I'm sure. No. <laughs> I'm sure about everything. No, no. I'm not, but I'm not sure in this case he's talking about that. I think in Romans chapter 7, which is where that's from, he is giving a... a he's, that's part of his thesis about the law. The law cannot make you holy. It cannot. It cannot change my heart. So, yes, there are things in it that that would lead us to think that, but his personal testimony is Philippians 3. Not that I've already attained to it, but I press on. I lay aside everything. Whatsoever things were gained for me, I have considered as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. That's what we have to do all the time. Okay, well, you tell me. You tell me. You know, okay, I, this is, I'm not... <laughs> I'm saying to you, don't give me Christian phrases. Don't give me wonderful words. Give me the nitty-gritty of what you will do tomorrow, today, to die to yourself and live for Christ. I'm not talking about all the individual things that are wrong in your life. Well, we haven't got time to talk about those. <laughs> I'm talking about what you will really do to say, I am not in charge of my life. God is in charge of my life. I am going to trust him with every area of my life. I'm going to place my confidence in him. Mm. 
Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Mike, I'm going to send you out of the room. <laughs> I'm sending you out. <coughs> yeah, but every time... Yes, it is, Sally, it is. The biggest battle is in our minds. So why don't you renew your mind every day? You know, the biggest battle is to, um, is to believe the truth... So why don't you write the verses all over your kitchen wall? No, but the, so this is just, it's just, what do you have to do to die to yourself? Not anybody else. What do you have to do to die to yourself? You know your weaknesses. You know where you're not dead to self. You know where you haven't surrendered. It won't be the same as somebody next door to you. You've got to stop making excuses. You've got to stop it. And the thing is, yes, you've got to live your life, Angela, definitely. But you actually aren't living your life. Christ lives in you. Exactly. I want to just lay out as statements. Give up even your past spiritual life. Give it up. Give up even your past spiritual life. Give up your successful spiritual life. Give up your experiences in your successful spiritual life. Give up your wisdom and your thoughts about God's work. Give them up. Give up your anger at what was done to you or should have been done to you and wasn't done to you. (coughs) Give up your condemnation of everybody else. Give up your criticism of somebody else's lack of spirituality or they do things differently to you so they must be wrong. Give that up. Give up your bitterness, your disappointment at what did not happen and should have happened. Give up all the disappointment of your entire life to this moment. Give it all up. Give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord and come in confession. I should not be disappointed because I have the creator God of the entire universe living within me. Give up everything and receive this pearl of great price. 
this rest of God and walk on in perfect fellowship. That's what he's offering. Now, you're going to start today maybe, well, maybe, I don't know. You're going to start by writing out a list of the things that you personally have to give up and yours won't be mine. They won't be mine. But you've got to write your list. And you've got to battle through that list to give it up. Why didn't this happen? Why didn't that happen? Why did that happen? Why is so-and-so doing this and I'm not doing this? Why is this my life and not that my life? And understand that this takes a few minutes to make your list, but it takes a lifetime to work through. How many years does a pianist practice? Or a surgeon? Before they're a great surgeon. How long? A long time. Do you think you're going to be in a wonderful fellowship with the Lord and it be bump? No. It's going to take you time. In the time that it takes, you're going to grow and grow and grow and experience the joy and the peace and the glory. But it's going to take you some time. Yes, yes. But there you have it. You so easily become discouraged with yourself. Why? Because it's you and yourself. Deny yourself, even the discouragement in yourself. So when you get that feeling that says, oh, I can never do this, I keep failing, I keep failing, that's actually unbelief. Say to that unbelief, but it's not about me, it's about God. You have promised and you never fail. You've promised and you never fail. Die to yourself. Choose that you will give up everything to have this sort of fellowship with God. And spend whatever time it takes. Whatever time it takes, God is worth everything you have. And if you don't believe that yet, think about it some more. God is worth everything. And if you find yourself unwilling, confess it and ask God to show you the self that's still there. Give up everything in the name of Jesus. I, I, you know, it is so easy to say the words. It's so easy to say the words and so hard to actually do them. So you just make your small beginning and God will rush in like a flood and enable you to do. And when you do that, where will you be? 
You'll be at the beginning. You'll be at the beginning. Make your list. Start to walk a surrendered life. Start to decide God is worth everything. And you will be at the beginning. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Give up or give, a, give away. Let go of all your spiritual experience. Let go of all your wisdom, all your thoughts about God. Come to God and say, wow, <laughs> wow. It's like giving yourself a blank canvas. It is. It's exactly like that. Like a blank canvas. <coughs> Who's saying that? Mm. And the thing is, you think when I say to you, give up your spiritual experiences, give up your wisdom, give up what you know about God, you think you've got, I'm telling you, go back to the beginning all the time, be a tiny little baby. But what happens when you give it up is that you grow. It's just you grow and you start to mature. It doesn't make sense to our human mind, but that's what happens. Exactly. Okay, Lord, I'm going to pray now. Cause I, uh, thank you, Father, that um, thank you that we've got so much to learn, but thank you that you are about um, taking us on. And I ask, Father, that you would help us to understand. Um, take whatever words I've said that uh, I don't know that need explaining more or whatever Lord take them and and make them right um, and help us Father I think everyone in this room wants to live a surrendered life but we all have different reasons why we don't and so I pray Father that you would first show us those reasons and then enable us to hand it all over to you. And I praise you, Lord, that you will. In Jesus' name, amen.